Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. All right, good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to this week's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. Uh, once again, you are stuck with uh, second in command this week, uh, Landon, as Austin is still in Israel. But I, I can tell you that uh, we've been checking in here and there through text, and he's having a wonderful time uh, with his wife and some other folks that they're on this kind of group ish uh, trip with. So um, he is uh, he is certainly enjoying himself and he'll be back with y'all next week. But uh, we've got a really special guest this week that I am uh, just, you know, um, I am really eager to dive into because, uh, you know, if I was to sit here and read off his bio, you know, we might uh, we might be talking for 20 or 30 minutes because it's it's that extensive and it's that impressive. So uh, I have no doubt that our guest today is going to provide a ton of insights and, and value that we all can glean and, and learn from. So with that being said, uh, we've got William Hall with us today, um, goes by Bill. And Bill is the CEO of UltraVision LED Solutions. And if I was looking at your LinkedIn profile correctly, you might also have a sister um, type of company, but you, you, we'll let you kind of unpack that. But um, Bill, can't wait to dive into our conversation and uh, welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, as we were getting started, um, I think I overheard you talking with Christina, who kind of manages production. And did I hear it right? Is this your first ever podcast? First ever podcast. I've done a lot of uh, public speaking. I've done some things on radio, but this is actually the first ever podcast. So uh, <clears throat> unique ex experience. All right. Well, I can tell you that uh, we are we are honored to uh, to be your first, and we hope that uh, we hope we can set set the bar really high for you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Um, all right, Bill. So before we get into your you know illustrious <clears throat> uh, professional uh, career that you've had, um, let's spend a couple of minutes. Tell us about yourself, your upbringing, your education, your family. You know what you like to do when you're not working. Like, give us a glimpse into into who Bill is as a person. Well, so I grew up in the Midwest and grew up in a farm in Ohio, essentially. And my mother was a uh, gerontologist, doctor in gerontology. Father was uh, was an engineer at Ashton Oil, and sort of a, a very standard upbringing in the Midwest. I think the slight difference was my father was always trying to find some new thing to do and coming up with new ideas and you know creative things to 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 work on and and uh you know we actually built the house that we lived in we we had a, a great farm and a great upbringing 
And then we moved to California when I was uh, when I was uh, a junior in high school, and we moved there so my mother could pursue a career, but also so my father could start a company. And he started his first company, and it was really watching my father start that company that really started, you know, inspiring that entrepreneurial spirit. And then when we lived on the West Coast, I went to USC and then attended Pepperdine. And then while I was at, at school, my father came home with the idea of starting a company that tested underground tanks. So I started the first company with my father um, and actually grew up, had a brother, and my brother got involved in the company at a very early age, too, and sort of got that entrepreneurial spirit. And both he and I have been starting companies ever since. So that's how that's how I came, you know, that's how I came up. And that's how, how I sort of got it started thinking about starting my own companies. Very cool. Uh, so both of my parents um, share the same alma mater as you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. OK. Yep. Terrific. So both my parents are Trojans. Uh, in fact, uh, I think that's, yeah, I, th I think that's where they where they met. Yeah. Um, and then you know got married, and uh, you know they're not together any longer. But uh, yeah, they are. Yep. They're both Trojans. I am not uh, a Trojan, but uh, that's uh, I, my wife also went to USC, and we met shortly after college, not in college, but shortly after college. We've been married. <clears throat> excuse me. 33 years now and we have three children so you know uh usc was good for both of us we we got to meet each other right after college we've been married for 33 years wow very cool yeah. very cool yeah. Well, I, yeah i i grew up in north county san diego so i'm a so cowboy oh. too okay good yeah and perfect. so what what was the business that your dad started that kind of uh i don't know if it brought you to socal or that's he started it when you moved to socal but tell us about that business so he started a business that was really buying and selling uh refinery equipment so you know refineries would go in and they would want to um you know build a whole new section of the refinery so he was buying and selling refinery equipment and as he did that what he what he he was working with the oil companies and what he discovered is in the 80s, a lot of the gas stations had to start testing their underground storage tanks. So my father, my uncle, and I started this company. Uh, the name of it was Hallmark Petroleum. And it was just the three of us. And when we started testing underground storage tanks for leaks, well, then very quickly, that started evolving into repairing underground storage tanks. And then that, that evolved into actually building the gasoline stations for the oil companies. And we started out with three people, myself, my uncle, my dad. And then it grew to a company that we had, you know, over 100 people and 50 trucks. And we were building gasoline stations all over uh, California, up and down California. But when it first started, <clears throat> my my father was out working with the oil companies doing sales, and he would say, you know, I'll get my San Diego crew on it. Well, that was myself in a truck. And then he would get another job and he would say, okay, I'll get my, uh, you know, my San Francisco crew on it. Well, that was myself in a truck driving overnight from San Diego to San Francisco. And my uncle was doing the same thing. And we, we again, we started with just the three of us and built it up to a very large company on the West Coast. 
Wow. So that was my that was my first entrance into uh, to starting and running your the challenges of starting and running your own company. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a cool story! And and you you definitely got the itch, didn't you? Because you have you've gone on to uh, to do a, a lot of similar uh, style ventures. So perfect yeah. perfect kind of segue into uh, into your own kind of you know unique professional career. So. Um, we can start wherever you want, because I, I know you, you've had, like I said, you know, you, you've had this illustrious career of, of starting and it looks like you've exited and, you know, now are the CEO of a company. So, um, you know, I want to make sure that we hone in, you know, for at least a couple of minutes and talk about the, um, the grocery store fuel rewards concept that probably every single person listening to the show right now is well aware of and i mean are we talking to the godfather of of that yeah yeah if you actually look at the original patents all the patents are in my name so and i can remember actually trying to figure out uh you know the 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 computer program to get everything in a row so we could apply for the patents on the fuel rewards program but where all it started from is is from California. We started. I started working with, you know, corresponding with some some uh, grocery uh, broker here in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, and they wanted to start building convenience stores. Well, the more I talked to them, that really evolved into the idea of putting gasoline gasoline stations in front of grocery stores. So <clears throat> I moved to Dallas and uh, sold my share of the company to my father my, uh, at the time, moved to Dallas and for two years flew around trying to convince grocery stores to install gasoline stations. And my wife said, you know, that's a crazy idea. She said that, you know, that's a dumb idea. That's never going to work. And I said, just give me a year. You know, let, let me let me try to make this work. And it actually took us about two years. So I flew around and met with all of the, the grocery store owners. We actually got HGB and Food Lion were the first two that said, yes, we'll try it. So then I had to go raise the money to install the gasoline station in front of the grocery store, which we had to go out and raise private money. We installed the first two, one for HGB, one for Food Lion. And instantly store sales took off. And what we proved is that every time we build a gasoline station in front of a grocery store, more customers would come into that grocery store because they like the convenience of buying the gasoline with their groceries. It was one-stop shopping. So we eventually, we got contracts with eight of the top 10 grocers. We sold that company to, at the time, Russian oil company. It was the first major investment from a Russian company into an American company. And then I started working on fuel rewards. So sold out of that company and went back to the drawing board to try to do something unique and different again. And so what we saw after we sold the company is all of the grocery stores were just marking the gasoline down and selling it at cost, like a loss leader. So so I came up with the idea of not selling the gasoline at cost, but actually rewarding the customer. You know, so if a customer went into a grocery store and they bought certain groceries, 
they, then they would receive cents off on their gasoline purchase. So again, presented this idea to my wife. She said, that's a dumb idea. You know, it'll never work. So we ended up hiring some software engineers and we went to work on the program to, to integrate the, the grocery sales. So it would print at the bottom of the receipt and you would receive cents off on, on gasoline. We couldn't figure out a name for it, you know, gas buddy, gas rewards or whatever. And finally, my wife helped me come up with the, with the uh, name fuel rewards. And we worked on that for several years and we proved it out again with HGB. HGB was our first one to actually use the fuel rewards program. The problem at the time was it took several, several years to get patents issued. And, you know, we were trying to make money with the grocery store vendors who, who paid to be on the program. Well, eventually I sold the company to a private equity firm because the patents had an issue. But the way the company evolved is that they, the company evolved so that it just charged basically a licensing fee to the grocery stores to use the program. And they worked with the vendors. You know, They negotiated with the vendors to give the cents off per gallon. But that's the evolution of fuel rewards. I mean, it started out with, uh, with one gasoline station in HEB and us trying to prove out the software. And, and I think at the time it was deer season and we were, you know, we, we went in the grocery store and we marked down, we got deer corn on fuel rewards and donuts and, you know, uh, you know some of the grilling uh, products because we knew all the hunters would be buying all those, that stuff. And uh, we were able to pull up, uh, prove out fuel rewards. And today, it's I think it's a staple for everyone. If you look at the bottom of your grocery receipt, you'll see fuel rewards. And I think it's it's actually a big in, incentive in today's economy with gas prices. I think most people are using fuel rewards. Yeah. I went into a short story. I went into a Shell station the other day and went into the convenience store and went to check out and the man stopped me and he said can i interest you in fuel rewards would you like to sign up for fuel rewards <laughs> so i kind of came out and laughed with my wife about it so that is you know i i've heard a lot of really really incredible really cool unique stories you know uh on on our show but i I think that that's right up there is one of the absolute coolest. I mean, you know, obviously the fuel rewards program doesn't have the same, you know, notoriety as a, uh, you know, a, a McDonald's on every corner. But I mean, I think, I feel like that's an apples to apples, you know, comparison that, I mean, that's gotta be, I imagine that's nationwide and probably every state and city and town almost in the United States. So that is uh that is just really dang cool. Yeah, it's one of those things my kids sort of remind me every day, you know, why didn't you hang on to fuel rewards? Why did you sell it? You know, but the unique thing is we started it. You know, it was our idea. It was myself and another gentleman. And we started it. And, and you know, we worked, the two of us worked out of one office and uh, for two or three years. And we we had to hire the software programmers and apply for the patents and prove that the software worked. And, you know, as I said, I remember the cold morning sitting in HEB during deer season, you know, just keeping our fingers crossed, hoping that the program would work, you know, hoping that that they could get the sense off for gallon of gasoline. And today, it, today it's literally, I think, a, a staple for all of us. I mean, yeah. I, I still use it today. 
just to yeah. lower my gas my gas prices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, you know, hindsight is uh, certainly you know twenty twenty, but uh, you know, you went on to do some other great things as well. So, what what happened after that? I think you you started another company, right? Is that the billboard? Um, yeah, yeah, we started video? a company. Yeah, I went back to the to the grocery store roots, and the goal was in grocery stores and drug stores to inst install video monitors. And so we developed a content delivery program to be able to deliver content to those video monitors. Today, you can you can download this sort of software on your, on your computer, but back then it was very unique. And so we started we started installing LED displays in the gasoline stations and the grocery stores and delivering content to them to advertise products in, in that gasoline station or that grocery store. The problem is we could never get the advertising model to work to pay for the equipment. You couldn't get enough money from the advertisers to pay for the equipment. The grocery store and the drugstore was not going to pay for the equipment. So we really, we really were at a point where we didn't know what to do with the company because we couldn't get that model to work. So what we ended up doing is we ended up turning the technology that we had developed and the LED displays, the content delivery to outdoor LED displays and, and being able to deliver that content to remote locations at any LED display in the world, combining it with the hardware. So from 2000 to 2007, I believe, we ended up doing 70% of all the signs in Times Square and all those large format LED displays that you see in Times Square we became one of the 20 fastest growing companies in the United States. And again, we went from, you know, one person, me, to a company of, you know, 150 people or more, you know, 150 to 200 people and a very fast growing company. But it, it, it took the challenge of you know, not being able to figure out how to make those grocery stores and the drugstore advertising work and having to move and adjust to apply our technology to something else. And in 2008, I sold that company, actually late 2007, I believe, right before we had our economic crisis. And then I started UltraVision, you know, and, and we're still working on UltraVision today. Good good timing on that move, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very good timing. Yeah, all right, great. So. You are the founder and CEO of UltraVision, which is, sounds like maybe that's your, maybe not your sole focus, but sounds like that's probably your primary focus right now as far mm -hmm. as business goes. So tell us about UltraVision, you know, who are you guys, you know, what do you do? Yeah, so there's actually two separate companies. I mean, UltraVision Technologies has all of the patents. Um, so we have actually almost 70 patents on uh, outdoor LED displays and outdoor LED lighting. And then UltraVision LED Solutions is a company that provides complete LED solutions for the company. And what the, what the technology is, is when, when I was at Billboard Video, um, we would install, install these large format LED displays <clears throat> all over the world, but they were giant IT cabinets with big doors in the back where you would open up the doors and and the LED, and the LED display would be inside and it would have the fans and the computers and everything. And when you shut the doors, you had a problem that you had to ventilate that IT cabinet. The other problem you had, it was very heavy, you know, very cumbersome to install, very engineering focused, and you couldn't install them against a wall. 
you know, so there was no such thing as an LED video wall. So with UltraVision Technologies, I set out to install, uh, to develop an LED video panel. And if you can think of it as an LED video, uh, uh, Lego, you know, like a modular LED display panel. We got rid of the IT cabinet. We got rid of the doors. We got rid of the fans. So it was a panel that you could stack up and you can make it as high and as long as you want it. And because you got rid of the doors in the back, you could install that LED panel right against the wall. So what it, what it allowed for was LED video walls, right? And you see today, you see LED video walls in churches and, and high schools and bars and restaurants and your airports. Well, all of that is because of the technology that we developed and we ended up getting 35 patents on that technology. So that's UltraVision Technologies. Um, we put the patents in that company because it's it's actively trying to protect those patents against infringers. Um, and UltraVision LED Solutions, I started to, to really provide a complete solution for our customers. So we have customers that come in and they're looking for an LED display but they don't want to go to one company to get an LED display, another company to get software, another company to do installation. So what we do is we work with our customers and we provide them that complete turnkey solution. So they can call us and say, if it's a bar or restaurant, or if it's a, if it's a church, or if it's a high school, uh, or if it's a, you know, a, a sign in Times Square, they can call us and they say, we want an LED display and we want it installed here and we want it done by this, this date. And then we'll provide that complete solution for them so they don't have to go to four or five different companies. So that's the real goal of UltraVision LED solutions. And how, I mean, how did you, how did you come up with this? Not the, not the model. I mean, I think the, the model is, uh, I mean, that seems to make a ton of sense, you know, just being able to provide them that kind of, like you said, that complete package. But where did you come up with this idea? And were you the first one to come up with this? I assume based yeah. on the fact that you were obtaining the patents that you were the first one to come up with this idea as well. Is that right? Yeah, we, we were the first one to come up with this idea as well. This, like all my, my wife keeps telling me that's a dumb idea, right? You know, and this. <laughs> This and someday I'll write a book. That's a dumb idea, but you know I think every entrepreneur goes through this, and 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 the concept I think that that makes a successful entrepreneur and has helped me with my success is when you look at solving a problem and fulfilling a need at the same time. And there, there's lots of inventors out there that will solve a problem, but are they really fulfilling a need? Right. And I think if you solve a problem and you fulfill a need at the same time, then you're developing something that's very successful. We did that, we did that with Nexus Fuels. You know, we did that with Fuel Rewards. Um, with UltraVision, we did the same thing. I mean, the problem when I started with UltraVision is these giant cabinets with doors in the back of them. And what I saw in the future was how do we take those LED displays from Times Square and how do we put them in a restaurant? And how do we put them in a pool? And how do we put them in a church? Well, we had to change the technology. And so we went to work on changing that technology. So it was, it was understanding a problem and trying to fulfill a need at the same time. Yeah. 
would you say in that circumstance that that um, it was almost like a, a need and or a problem that people didn't even know that they had, right? Because it was it was such a new concept. You know, um, right. I don't know why this is the example that just popped into my head, but are you familiar with the um, the squatty potty? No, no. So the squatty potty, a guy invented it a number of years ago, like not, I mean, definitely within the last decade, I, I believe. And the squatty potty is a, uh, it's a little plastic, you know, looks like a little uh, uh, footstool. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little plastic footstool and it goes at the, at the foot of the toilet. So that when people are sitting down to use the toilet, they can they can put their feet on an elevated platform, and it's supposed to help with you know the flow and you know this and that and and you know I don't know why that just popped in my head, but it's almost like I'm relating it to that because it's something that we didn't even know was a need or a problem until it was invented, and I assume. That's the same kind of uh, situation with this, where it was so new that people didn't even didn't even know that it was a problem, or they didn't even know that it was a need because they probably didn't even really know about it. Period. Did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, when we started fuel rewards, I mean, it, you know, we knew that gasoline was one of the great financial indicators in, in life, right? I mean, when you go to buy gas, when you go to look at your budget, you're looking at groceries and you're looking at gasoline. And so we were trying to figure out some way to help people save on gasoline and still help the grocery stores incentivize customers, right? So we knew there was a need there and we were trying to help find a way to fulfill that need. And it was the same way with, with, with UltraVision, when we first looked at the industry and we looked at all the LED displays that were being installed in Times Square, I mean, my, we had installed at one point 70% of them in Times Square in 2007. There was 1.8 million people a day that were going to Times Square just to look at the LED display. So the goal was, how do we take that technology and how do we bring it to a church that wants to use it for a sermon? Or how do we bring it to, how do we bring it to a restaurant that wants to have the Super Bowl on a giant LED display, right? How do you bring it to concerts? So how do we take that technology and how do we, how do we introduce it into normal public so that everyone, every business, every person can use it? I mean, we're, we're installing these LED displays down in pools all over the United States, right? And and that wasn't even a concept 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, it was just something that you went to Times Square to look at. So it was all about trying to fulfill a need that, that, that you think is there. And I think, I think that's one of the, the big goals of an entre entrepreneur is just having the vision to look ahead and try to see an opportunity that has not been fulfilled yet. I mean, I, I think any entrepreneur using your example of the, you know, the, that, that step, but any entrepreneur in any field is it's being able to have a vision, see an opportunity that has not been fulfilled and trying to fulfill that opportunity. Yeah. So talk to us, 
talk to us about some of like the major challenges that you face. I, I guess let's just stick with with the theme of, of UltraVision. So, you know, like you said, bringing it from this Times Square, you know, esque down to, you know, your local church. You know, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were trying to execute, you know, on that vision? And then, you know, maybe you can speak to, um, you know, when you face those challenges, how do you know when it's, it's time to persevere and to continue versus saying, you know, you know, cause you know, naturally the, the doubts, you know, come into your mind and, you know, your, your, your buddy on the golf course says, you know, what are you doing? Or your wife says, you know, honey, you know, is this, this doesn't seem to be working, you know, let's take your foot off the gas. Like, how do you, how do you um, come to a decision to move forward when you are experiencing these kinds of challenges with something like this? You know, it's an interesting question because I think for any entrepreneur, you can't give up. You know, you can make small tweaks and you, as an entrepreneur, you need to see a vision and you may be able to, you, you may need to make small tweaks in your vision, in your direction, but you can't ever give up. And, you know, there's an old Finnish term called Sisu and Sisu is, you know, in, in, in have an extraordinary determination and not bowing down to any adversary. And I think, I think entrepreneurs have to have that. And either you don't, you do have it or you don't have it as an entrepreneur. And throughout my career, I mean, we've certainly, you know, I've certainly been in certain positions where, We've had to make, although I believed in something, I had to make certain tweaks to, to the direction to make it successful. At Billboard Video, we started out with, uh, with LED displays that we were trying to put in grocery stores and gasoline stations. It, the model didn't work, right? We couldn't get advertising to pay for the model. So we ended up having to move to outdoor LED displays and became the 20th fastest growing company in the United States with fuel rewards. When we started that, you know, the whole, the whole daily grind was trying to get grocery product manufacturers to pay for the discounts. Well, at the end of the day, that's really was who we were. The, at, at the end of the day, we were more of a technology company, a software technology company. And we ended up just licensing the grocery stores so that they could go negotiate with those grocery manufacturers. So it, it, it's not giving up, but it's, it's, it's tweaking your direction. You know, the biggest challenge that we've had at UltraVision is we, we started out in, in 2010 developing this new product, and we spent millions developing this modular LED display panel. And then from probably 2014 to 2000. 18, we spent millions more trying to prove it out, getting out there and trying to prove to people that this modular LED display panel worked. Well, then all of a sudden we had the invasion of the Chinese companies, the invasion of Chinese manufacturers that were trying to copy the product. It's a very important point for most entrepreneurs. When you start with a new vision or a new concept, I think you've got about three years to make it work before everyone starts to copy you, right? 
In 2018, 2019, all of a sudden we had every Chinese manufacturer that had ever been in the LED display business manufacturing our product, right? And the biggest, the biggest, and they even they even took our name in a lot of cases. They even called it the Ultra Vision or you know the Ultra the Ultra something, right? Mm -hmm. And so we we went to war with all of these Chinese companies in the U.S. courts, and we spent millions and millions of dollars. And basically, what we found is you cannot stop Chinese companies in the United States from copying U.S. products. It's physically impossible. And I know there's a lot of legislation right now. Uh, Congressman Session and some other congressmen are working on leg new legislation. But right now, Chinese companies can exactly duplicate a, a U.S. product, U even though there's U.S. patents, and sell it into the United States. There's almost no way to stop them. If you sue the company, you have to go through Chinese courts to try to get, it, to try to get a Chinese company served. If you get them served and you start pursuing down the road to uh, winning in court, literally the next day, they can change the name of the import company. And even if you have a judgment against them, you can't go after them because they've changed the name of the import company. And then the next step is even if you win a judgment, like we won several judgments, the only way that you can get the Chinese companies to pay on the judgments is if you go to Chinese courts to get the Chinese courts to try to collect against the Chinese companies. Well, it just doesn't happen. You know, the Chinese courts block U.S. companies from serving Chinese companies. The Chinese Chinese uh, uh, government blocks uh, U.S. companies from even trying to um, to collect on uh, judgments. So. The Chinese government is very good about blocking U.S. companies from protecting American IP. Chinese companies, not just in my our industry, but many other industries are copying U.S. products. <clears throat> so what we had to do is, <clears throat> again, we had to tweak. We had to change a little bit. We had to change the way we sell. And instead of going head to head against the Chinese and just trying to sell products, mm -hmm. we changed to where we were actually selling a total solution. So we can go into a bar or restaurant or we can work with an AV company and we can help them with the software, the installation, the support, everything that customer needs to be able to install an LED display. And now, you know, we're, we're back again, going through a very good growth, but we've had to learn how to adapt. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's been the biggest challenge for Ultravision is, is, you know, Chinese companies coming in and copying our product. But at the same token, I think every entrepreneur has some challenge. Like we had the challenges at Billboard Video. We had the challenges at Feel Reward. Other entrepreneurs have challenges every day. And I think the important thing is just not giving up and keeping your vision and finding a way to reach that vision, even if you have to change your, you know, make minor changes to your direction to reach that vision. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, you know, you didn't really comment on this. So I, I want to just, I, I'm just so curious to hear your thoughts. So the way that you described the um, the situation between 
Amer you know, innovative American companies that are developing and, and innovating new products only to be essentially, uh, you know, uh, copied or, or mm -hmm. to be, you know, uh, th their, their ideas and their IP to be essentially just stolen, you know, from overseas companies, uh, specifically Chinese. What are your, what are your, your thoughts on that? Like, is it, is that just kind of an, it, it, it is what it is type of deal or, you know, do you, uh, do you feel like there, there's, you know, realistically that that can, that, that predicament can, can be solved? Like just generally, you know, for somebody like myself that has zero experience with dealing with, you know, international companies, uh, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what could, how do we change something like that so that that just doesn't con, you know, continue to happen indefinitely to U.S. companies. Yeah, it's going. It's actually going to take some some work with the government and some changes to our policies and how we deal with China, because right now for U.S. companies, it is very very difficult to stop these Chinese companies. Through Ultravision Technologies, we actually raised funding for litigation and we raised you know twenty million dollars to go fight these Chinese companies. And after a four-year battle with them, um, I finally came to the conclusion that there's almost no way to stop them. You know, so um, it's something that's occurring every day, not just in our business, but in every business, in every aspect of of of, of America. Um, you know, when we were fighting these Chinese companies, most of them were actually owned by the Chinese government or several of them were public companies. Mm. And the Chinese government had officials that sat on the board of the public companies. <laughs> and when we started fighting them legally, many of these companies were able to get grants from the Chinese government to actually fight our patent litigation. Because the way that China looks at American IP is they look at it as a restraint of trade, right? In China, they want to be able to manufacture anything and sell it anywhere, right? And it's, it's how they grow the economy. You look every day at how fast China is growing, right? Well, they're selling products all over the world. Mm -hmm. Some of these products are, are infringing or many of them are infringing on American IP. And so... China sees this as a restraint of trade if you try to stop them from selling in the United States. Chinese companies can actually get grants to fight your patents. So there's got to be some there's got to be some help from the US government. And as I said, Congressman Sessions and some other congressmen right now are actually working on policies to 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 try to help American businesses so we can we can stop these Chinese companies from directly copying products. And it's a battle and it's a process, right? And, and as we sell products in the United States, sometimes we'll go in and we'll meet with a customer and, you know, they've got 20 different Chinese companies trying to sell our product to them. And they're amazed to learn that it's actually a product that was developed in the United States and developed by an American entrepreneur. So, um, so it's something that we now to be able to combat all these Chinese companies, we just try to make our customers aware that it is American IP. You know, it is something that was developed by an American company. 
Um, as I said, we, we have ultra vision LED solutions is trying to offer that total solution now, but it's almost an education process for, for companies. And I think most companies and most Americans have started to appreciate it. You know, I mean, appreciate the fact that there are a lot of Chinese companies that are stealing American IP. You know, we're, we're worried about a Chinese balloon going over the United States when every day Chinese companies are stealing products from American companies and in stealing American IP. And it's, uh, it's in every different industry in the United States today. So it, it's a challenge. And, and for us, um, you know, we, we, we almost gave up. I mean, we're, we're, still, we're still looking at the, some of the legal alternatives, but it almost became such a battle that it, it, it was overwhelming. You know, you felt like you were fighting the Chinese government every day. Right. Um, and so what we've just turned to is just trying to educate the customer that this is really an American product and American IP and developed by Americans. Yeah. So, yeah, super interesting. Uh, well, I, I would say my, my gut would say that uh, that road will probably continue to uh, expand because it's, it doesn't feel like our relationship is getting better with China at the moment. I would say feels like it's getting worse. So yeah, uh, that, that yeah. long road feels like it might just continue to get longer. Yeah. And I don't think all of us realize how, how much from an economic standpoint, we are actually at war with China, you know, on an economic standpoint, you know, one of the things that we learned is many of these Chinese companies when they would sell product into the United States, they would they would start a U.S. division of the Chinese company. They would sell the product to the U.S. division for $100, let's say. And then the, the U.S. company would sell that product for the same $100 in the United States. And all the profits held back in China. So essentially what that Chinese company did is avoided paying any U.S. taxes. So as a U.S. company, if you make profits, you, you pay tax, right? And that's, that's part of being an American company and supporting the United States government. But when China comes in and they're competing against U.S. companies, they're keeping all the profit back in China so they don't even have to pay taxes on it. And I think that was even one of the shocking things for us to find out when we were going through all this litigation but it's 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 a tough road, not it was just for us being a huge challenge. But as I said, it's a tough road for many, many companies out there that are facing the same thing every day. I mean, and, and, and I think the only way that we're ever going to win is by just raising the awareness in the United States that this is occurring. And uh, you look at how fast the Chinese economy is growing. Um, you know how fast their military is growing. You know some some of the some of the um, some of the things that are happening to the United States and China right now. Well, a lot of it's because they're selling products in the United States and Europe. I mean, not just the United States, but because they're they're copying American IP. Yeah, interesting. So just to kind of continue to pull on this international thread, just just for a moment. Uh, so in 2020, you were nominated uh, by Ernst & Young as Entrepreneur of the Year. So first of all, 
congratulations. That's uh, that's incredible. Uh, but tell us about your experience uh, as an attendee in in Moscow, Russia, I believe. Right. So yeah. was that connected? To the well, Ernst Young Entrepreneur. No, of the year. no, 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 no. Okay. And I, and to be clear, I was nominated. You know, as right. one of the nominees. But right, right. Ultimately, that year, the award went to another entrepreneur. But um, when, when, when I went to Moscow, this is when I had um, uh, Nexus Fuels. Okay. And Nexus Fuels was purchased by Luke Oil. Russian oil company, which at the time we had very good relations with Russia. Um, it was the first American investment into, um, into uh, excuse me, the first Russian investment into an American company. So there, there was a lot of publicity. We were on most of the news stations and, and um, I had to fly back and forth to Moscow uh, to report to the chairman of Luke Oil at the time. And, uh, you know, that's where all of this came from is, is Nexus Fuels, the company that built the gas stations in front of grocery stores. And, and what Luke Oil wanted at the time is they wanted to have a lot of the contracts for the gasoline. And uh, when, we, when we got contracts to install those gasoline stations in front of grocery stores, we actually, we were, when we were trying to buy the gasoline for them, we would we, we turned to many of the American or, or uh, the um, uh, the gasoline retailers that had a presence in America, you know, the shell oils of the world. And they didn't want to sell gasoline in, in bulk to these grocery stores because they didn't want the gasoline stations in front of the grocery stores threatening their other um, retail contracts. So that's why we had to turn to foreign oil companies. And that's why we ended up doing that deal uh, with Luke Oil in Moscow, which at the time was, you know, was was very interesting because uh, Russia was still a young company at the time, and it was it was very interesting to deal with Luke Oil. They were actually very good partners for us, and and uh, I ended up selling the whole company to them in the end. So, hmm. yeah. Wow. A lot of a lot of firsts for you, Bill. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever met somebody with so many firsts as as you've had. So that's uh, that's just that's incredible, man. That is absolutely incredible. Thank so you. just as we start to kind of push up on on time here, you know, um, you know, looking looking back, Bill, at your you know your your thirty year old self, right? You know right. what what. What would you, what advice would you give yourself or what, what would you have done, you know, differently or better or improved upon in your, you know, that, that next stage of your life? Well, one, going back, I would say, you know, never give up, you know, never give up on your dream or your vision. I, I would say to any entrepreneur starting their own company, it's very, it's very challenging every day when you're starting your own company or facing challenges of every kind. You know, how do you, how do you get your product to work? How do you sell your product to the marketplace? How do you hire new people? I think one of the things as an entrepreneur that I would, I would advise any, any new entrepreneur is never give up control of their company. You know, I think it's very easy today to go out and raise money, but you give up control of your company and never give up control of your company. I think specifically to one entity or one person, because as you're growing your company, the objectives of the company and the investor may change. Um, and every time I've seen 
uh, myself uh, or, or a entrepreneur get into cha uh, challenges is when the objective of a, of a senior shareholder changes from a company. I mean, you may have a person who is an investor that suddenly all of a sudden runs into a liquidity problem and has to sell their shares of their company, right? I've had private equity companies that we worked with and private equi equity companies have an end date that they want to exit usually, right? It's two or three years out and they, that may not match with the objectives of a company. And we've had, you know, I've worked with investors before that are strategic investors. And the problem again with the strategic investor is at some point as you're growing as a company, their objectives may change. And you don't want them selling or forcing you to sell or forcing you to take on new partners. So I would say never give up control of your company when it's when it's very young and you're first starting to, to you know, to make money with it. I mean, fuel rewards, we essentially, just as our patents were getting issued, we sold it to an equity company, you know, and if I had to do it all over again, I would have, I would have kept it and I would have persevered and I would have kept working on it until it is what it is today. I mean, I sold out much too early. So, so for entrepreneurs, I would say, don't, don't give up too much of your company uh, in the early days, you know, be as tight as you can and frugal as you can with money until you start making income. Do, never give up control to one company. I think the important thing for any entrepreneur is to get to income as quickly as you can. When, when you're an entrepreneur, you're faced with challenges every day, you know, people not showing up to work, you know, things not working the right way in the office and things at home and, you know, all the challenges you face as an entrepreneur, but your goal has to be to get to income as quickly as possible. I see too many companies fail because they're not focused on that goal of getting the income quickly, right? They get they get pulled in different directions. You've got to get the income as quickly as you can, even if you're not making a profit. You have to prove that 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 your your concept works and your vision works, and you have to get the income as quickly as possible, and then focus on growing that income as quickly as possible. Don't don't get sidetracked. I think one of the other things I would I would tell my 30, you know, my my older self is entrepreneurs don't necessarily make good managers. You know, entrepreneurs have a great vision and they set a direction. But I really think it's important to hire good managers underneath you and good managers that can focus on those day to day problems and challenges so the entrepreneur can keep working on his vision and his direction. So I would I would promote any entrepreneur as soon as they can to start hiring good managers underneath them. And when you hire those good managers, you have to really, as an entrepreneur, you have to hire managers that provide you with solutions and not just come to you with problems every day, but you have to you have to hire problem solvers. You have to hire managers that that bring you solutions every day so you can keep trying to grow that company. You know, if a, if a manager comes to you with only problems every day, he's not the right manager. You need a manager who's going to come to you and say, here's the problem. Here's the solution I propose. And you either agree with that solution or you don't, but you work together on it, right? So 
I think success is all about hiring the right managers that are underneath you. And if you don't have the right manager, getting rid of them quickly. So they're not, so they're not drawing down the company, you know, so you can keep moving forward in a positive direction. When you walk into a conference room and you, you've got 10 problems that you got to solve, you've either got people around you that are working to solve those problems, or you got people that are just creating more problems. Mm -hmm. But you want to get rid of those managers that are creating more problems. So, and keep the ones that are helping you find solutions <laughs> every day, right? And so I think there's lots of great people out there. You know, we, we, what I'm trying to do today is, is focus on younger people that are very aggressive and always, always thinking of, of ways to grow a company and ways to solve problems. And, and uh, so, you know, the, those are just some of my advice. Don't lose your vision. You know, get the income as quickly as you can. Don't get, don't get diverted. Try very hard not to take on a single investor or entity that's going to take control of your company. It, hold on to control of your company. Or if you too, do take on investors, have a variety of investors that, are, that can sit on a board and bring some advice and bring something to the board. So they're not just focused on their objectives, they're, they're focused on the company as well. And, and hire very, very good managers because I, you know, entrepreneurs are wonderful and, uh, and, but, uh, and we need them. And, and I would, you know, I would support and give advice to any entrepreneur out there, but you also have good, you've got to have good managers underneath them. Yeah. So that would be my advice to myself 30 years ago. Wonderful. Well, that resonates with me a lot more than you could know, because that that uh, kind of gives gives me some some really great confidence as I actually am working towards my first ever acquisition of, okay, a, good. of, of a small business. Good. So I, I've got a guy that I'm partnering with who will be the manager, you know, the operator of the business. Great. And so he is very much a problem solver. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was uh that was music to my ears to, to hear all that. So thank you. Yeah, and, 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 and again, that's taken years to get there, but at UltraVision LED Solutions today, you know, we have a great team of people, great team of problem solvers. Um, and, and we continue to hire, uh, you know, new managers every day that, that bring something to the party and, and we'll, we'll, we'll work with this, you know, as, as we grow and, and there's, you know, every installation has different challenges. Every installation that we do um, as, 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 you know, different things that we've got to solve, but we've got a great team of people here. And I think that's, that's one of the things that every entrepreneur needs to focus on is how, how to find those people. Yeah. So whenever the UltraVision chapter you know, of, uh, of Bill's life closes maybe next year, maybe it's not for 10 or 20 years, but whenever that chapter does close, do you, do you feel like that's kind of the, the final entrepreneurial, you know, chapter for Bill or could there be more to come? No, I, I'm, I'm excited to look at stuff every day. I mean, every day I'm, you know, I've, I've got friends who are bringing me new ideas and, you know, I'm looking at new ideas that are out there in the industry. There's one thing I wish I could do more of was try to help and support 
other entrepreneurs out there that are trying to grow companies. And so, um, you know, I'm always looking at different opportunities. I'm always looking at how I can help different entrepreneurs uh, and how I can help other American companies with American IP and, you know, how, you know, other inventors that are out there, you know, what they should do to grow their company and protect themselves from some of the foreign competitors that are out there. So I'm, I'm always looking for new challenges. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Bill, uh, thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. I know I took a lot of value bombs away from this conversation, if you will. And I have no doubt that the people listening did as well. But if somebody uh, wants to look you up or follow you on social media or you know reach out to you, what, what's the best way for somebody to go about doing that? Well, certainly they can go to our website. Um, I've got a I've got a LinkedIn um, profile where they can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Um, but we're you know Old Division LED Solutions is is on most of the social media on a on a weekly basis. And anybody that follows your show can reach out to me at LinkedIn, and would love to hear from them. Okay, fantastic. Well, speaking of LinkedIn, Bill, I sent you a LinkedIn request right before our interview. So uh, go on and accept it when you get a second. <laughs> All right, great. Well, good luck, good, good luck with your uh, acquisition of your new business. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really excited. We're, we're just in about our second or third week of due diligence. So we're, you know, if all goes according to plan, we'll be looking to close in about 60 days. So well, good, well, good luck. You'll love running your own business. So yeah, yeah that. thank you. Thank you, Bill. Well, again, Bill, thank you for being on Tycoons of Small Biz. We, we truly had a, uh, a unique tycoon on the show today. So thank you. And we look forward to uh, continue along, you know, the, the William Hall show and watching whatever comes next for you. So, okay. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for Bill. the opportunity and have a great day. And, and, you know, thank you for the first podcast, by the way. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. You're a, you're a natural. You did great. Okay. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you, Bill. You too. All right. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us next week for an introduction to another great tycoon and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.